then. Children of the night, what music they make. They're coming to get you, Barbara. Excellent day for an exorcism. Oh, Kill you all! You don't know what death is. We belong dead. Here's Johnny. <laughs> I shot him six times. On to your butt. Bring for your life. <laughs> Into a new world of parts and monsters. Trick-or-treat, smell my feet, give me something good to eat. Happy Halloween and welcome to Pods and Monsters. My name is Robert and with me is Anthea. Hello. How are you, Anthea? I'm okay, you know, enjoying the crisp fall weather. Yes, only in the high 80s it's today. only in the 80s. It's, <laughs> but it does drop to a nice temperature in the evening that's true since it is halloween time yes we thought it would be perfect to talk about one of our favorite movies the perfect halloween movie because that's the name of the movie it's halloween halloween the motion picture about the most terrifying night of the year starring donald pleasance i spent eight years trying to reach him and then another seven trying to keep him locked up because I realized that what was living behind that boy's eyes was purely and simply evil. Halloween, the night he came home. Rated R. So yes, we are going to be talking about the 1978 version of Halloween directed by John Carpenter, sometimes called John Carpenter's Halloween. Actually, it is called John Carpenter's Halloween. That's right. I know because the movie told me that's what it's called. <laughs> yes, that's right. In fact, John Carpenter uh, wanted that. That was part of his contract, that he wanted John Carpenter's above Halloween. I think it's great. So how familiar are you with Halloween? I'd have to say pretty familiar. We watch it very often. It is one of my favorite movies. I love it a lot. Yeah, it's in my top five movies of all time. Yeah. I watch it often, mm-hmm. as, as you just said. Yes. So, you know it pretty well. Uh, no <laughs> need to go over what you think it might be about. No, I did not write anything down. But I guess I should say child murder, babysitters. Masks. Halloween. <laughs> Pumpkin. Pumpkin. Donald Pleasant's being amazing. <laughs> I shot him six times. Oh, uh, no. Well, he doesn't say that in this one. No, that's Halloween, too. But he does say, what does he say to that kid when he calls him, like, an asshole? He says, hi. Hi, Lori. Get your ass away from there. Oh, sorry. He doesn't call him an asshole. <laughs> <laughs> my bad. But it's very funny because he puts on a really weird accent. That's, like, my favorite. Yeah. Well, we'll talk about that scene as we do our rundown. So why don't we start that rundown? 1978's John Carpenter's Halloween. (laughs) 1978's John Carpenter's movies. John Carpenter's Halloween. (laughs) The night he came home. He's going to get 
All right, Anthea, how does, uh, how does Halloween start for us? So right off the bat, we are introduced to the main theme of this movie, theme song. A wonderful theme. It's so good. It's one, of, it's one of the most memorable movie themes of all time. I mean, you have to put it up there with the psycho shower scene music. Yeah. Mm-hmm. This, that and Halloween. And that this Halloween was, and Jaws. If you, yeah, all of Jaws those too. songs, all of, those, all of that music is so foreboding. And each one of them is very simple, too. Yes. Uh, the music was done by director and writer John Carpenter. Mm-hmm. And, you know, his, his father taught him how to do that beat. He used to practice on bongos. Oh. And his father taught him how to do that on bongos. Mm-hmm. And he brought that into the theme. Oh, very nice. So the uh, credits are very uh, simple. And uh, it's a black background, and there's a pumpkin that we close up on. And the pumpkin is done a little wonkily and has that wonderful little, like, I guess, gash um, that connects the nose to the mouth. Yeah, I, I like that. And for people that are familiar with the Halloween sequels, in Halloween 5, they bring in the Curse of Thorn, and Michael has a tattoo on his wrist of this sort of pea shape, uh-huh, uh-huh. and I always thought that the pumpkin in the first one was that shape, because it's very similar, uh-huh. if you look at the outline of it. Of course, one has nothing to do with the other. But the no- You're talking about the nose? The nose on the pumpkin yeah. is, has that little... Yeah, yeah, it does. They don't? No. They didn't take the design from that? No. In, in Halloween 5, it's done from like a... It's a real Celtic symbol. Okay. So, oh, a thing of note, aside from it being titled John Carpenter's Halloween, this is Jamie Lee Curtis's introduction. That's right. It says introducing Jamie Lee Curtis. This was her uh, first movie. Yeah. So I love that. And what a movie to start off your career with. So we open on Haddonfield, Illinois in 1963. And uh, you hear kids chanting some sort of Halloween poem rhyme of some sort. You have this wonderful POV handheld shot basically. So this entire opening scene takes place from your point of view. You are the person that is experiencing everything. Yes, it's a POV shot point of view. And Halloween wasn't the first movie to do it, but it really popularized it. Yeah, it's done very effectively. So you are looking at this house and there's a girl who is in a house with a boy and she's making out with him on the couch. Also, when they sit down on the couch, they pull out, he pulls out this really weird mask and also makes a comment about asking if anyone's home. And she says that Michael is around somewhere. The mask, you find out later, it's a clown mask, but it, it's it's kind of hard to tell what it is exactly at this point. Yeah. So he makes a comment that they should go upstairs. So upstairs they go. I like this because they go upstairs and the point of view of this is the person going around the house and then looking up where they would expect this couple to go 
and the light upstairs turns on and then you get this really jarring music. It turns off. Oh, it turns off. Yeah, you get, they call it a stinger. Mm-hmm. And throughout the movie, there's different types of stingers, which are basically kind of like jump scares. Yeah, yeah. And it's so great and effective and so Halloween, mm-hmm. which Halloween 2 did a lot of it too, but the other sequels don't really use those stingers a lot, which I love. So I also noted that this point of view is a little high. It is a little high. It, it's, it's actually very high once the reveal happens so the the light goes out and you hear the music and then you walk into the house and go into the kitchen and you grab this like ridiculously large knife right and the hand that grabs it's kind of tiny as we're walking through the house the boy that was with the girl comes down the stairs and leaves and we walk upstairs and there's the mask that we saw earlier and we hear the young lady in the house who is just humming to herself and it turns out that she is wearing nothing but her underwear and she's combing her hair in front of her vanity and I always found the voices in this opening scene to be so weird and also we are big Halloween horror fans we go to Universal Halloween Horror Nights Uh and many many years ago when I believe the first time they decided to do a Michael Myers Halloween themed house Uh the exterior was the Myers house and there was um, one of those shadow effects Mm -hmm. and it was her in the window combing her hair. We waited so long that it was continuously, it was just on a continuous loop and her voice is just embedded in my head where she's like, Michael, (laughs) then he starts stabbing her. (laughs) Michael! Judith Myers is played by Sandy Johnson, and she uh, was a uh, Playboy centerfold, I believe. Oh, really? Mm -hmm. Interesting. So, Michael was mentioned earlier. Now you figure out we are Michael, and uh, we start stabbing, stabbing this gal. Stab, stab, stab. And then run downstairs, Um, and as they're running out, there's a car that arrives, and these two people, a couple, walk up towards us. And then they take off our mask because we've put on the mask earlier. Mm -hmm. And that's when it switches out of the POV. And it's a little boy dressed up as a clown. He's holding a giant knife and it's it's his parents. And then the shot pulls out. Yeah. And no one moves. It's a great reveal because something so horrific that we just witnessed, you know, we expect it to be an adult, some scary looking, you know, madman. Mm Mm-hmm. But it ends up being an innocent six-year-old little boy. Who seems very confused about what just occurred. Yeah, he's kind of in a daze, it seems like. Yeah. So this whole beginning, it appears as if this whole scene was shot in one take. It's not. There's some hidden cuts in there. Yeah, like when we put the mask on. Yeah. They do a good job to make it appear that way. But this was actually the last thing that they shot for the movie. Really? So this is 15 years before the rest of the movie takes place. Later in the movie, when we go back to the Michael Myers house, we see it's old and dilapidated. Mm -hmm. That's how the house really was in real life. Old and broken down. It was abandoned. So they made a deal with the city or whoever to do the first scene last so they could paint it up and make it nice so they could keep it like that for the future. Oh, gotcha. But then when the sequel came back, they made it all dirty again. (laughs) (laughs) The next scene, we are now at Smith's Grove in Illinois, and it is October 30th, 1978. It was a dark and stormy night, 
And uh, we're now in a car with a nurse and a man who we end up finding out is Dr. Loomis. He asks the nurse if she's ever done anything like this. And she says, not quite. She's done only minimal security. Yes. She's worried about the person that they're picking up. And they actually have to take them to a judge. Um, And she's just worried. The only thing she dislikes about this is just the jibber jabber that they got going on. Yeah, we get from context clues that it is a nurse and a superior and they are out to pick up a patient. And the way she's acting, it's obviously a mentally challenged patient. We don't know what's going on with this patient, but we know there is something that they need to be cautious about. Yeah, that they're unbalanced in some way. As uh, Dr. Loomis says, they're going to use Thorazine on him to keep him subdued because whoever this is that they're getting could be a danger. Yes. Um, He also hasn't spoken in 15 years. That's right. Which is a pretty big deal. Um, She has nothing to worry about. She ends up commenting that the amount of drugs that they're going to use on him is going to make him incoherent. and He'll barely be able to sit up. Uh, Dr. Loomis is finally, is totally fine with this. In fact, he never wants him to get out. And now uh, we get a little bit of backstory on Michael at this point during their conversations. As they're talking and going down, they keep showing this point of view out of the car. And it always makes me so nervous because it feels like they're just driving at barriers <laughs> yeah. the entire time and then just turn at the last minute. Like she's like, no, this is not where I want to go. <laughs> There are people that are dressed in hospital gowns, free roaming. And I like how they come into view of the headlights. Like you can only see as much as the headlights reach. Yeah, Um, it's pretty scary, you know, like ghostly shrouds just walking around in the middle of the night and pouring rain. Yeah. And she makes a little joke saying, Since when did they let them wander So Dr. Loomis tells her to stay in the car and he's going to go to the gate, which already seems like a really bad idea, but whatever. And I do find that this is like the one moment that kind of takes me out and is like extremely 70s is when Michael jumps onto the back of the car Uh and there's this, the music, the stinger. It makes him seem almost superhuman. And it's just a weird, it just, it's a very 70s shot. Like, very 70s. It almost reminded me of, like, the $6 million man. <laughs> this music was very, like, as <laughs> he, like, jumps on top of the car. No, I know what you mean. So, <laughs> he jumps on top of the car and she opens the window to take a look at what's happening. And uh, he grabs her and causes her to press onto the gas. She takes off and crashes. He eventually just like steals the car from her. And well, before he does that, uh, remember he on the other side of the car, he brings his hand down and breaks the window. Sure. If you look very closely, you could see in the palm of his hand is a wrench. Uh-huh. And he uses a wrench to break the window. I don't know if Michael Myers was supposed to actually have a wrench in his hand to break the window, or was it supposed to kind of be hidden and he's just powerful enough to break that window? I think it's just the effect. I agree. So he takes off in the car. He's apparently learned how to drive at some point in his life. I love that. Uh, Maybe someone around there gave him lessons. That Dr. Loomis says the evil is gone. He's gone from here. The evil is gone. Now it's the following day and we're in Haddonfield. And we see a girl walking to school 
And as soon as she walks out of her house, she's followed by some wonderfully ominous music. I feel like in this movie, there's absolutely no downtime with regards to the music. Uh-huh. There's no distractions or like joyous moments or moments of calm regarding the music. The music always sets a mood and you should always be on high alert with this music. Yeah, what's what, but what's funny for me is I love this movie so much it reminds me of good times. So that music brings back wonderful memories. so this girl we find out has been asked to drop off keys at the myers place and on her way there she runs into this child named tommy tommy doyle and he um starts asking about this house that she's going to go drop off the keys so i love that this is the way that they've kind of refreshed your memory and set up the town's views on the Myers and just the whole situation that's happened at that house. Yeah. So, and this kid that comes up, Tommy Doyle, I always thought he looked a lot like Seth Green. He does. So we find out that the, the Myers house is, as he referred to it, um, the spook house. It's a, everyone believes that it's haunted and to be really careful of it. So as she goes up to drop off the keys, showing him that everything's okay, we get this, point of view of over someone's shoulder which i like that at this point for a while here we will see michael through this point of view where we aren't him but we are looking with him at things yeah lots of over the shoulder shots yes and it's just so good framing and ominous and just so good what's great about this movie is how wide it is the wide screen yes and how every inch of the screen is being used. Mm -hmm. In fact, there's lots that you miss in the TV pan and scan version, which was the first way I watched it as a kid. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's a couple of scenes I'll mention when they come up, things that I completely missed because it was cut out in the pan and scan version. Oh, wow. So he's inside of this house, but she doesn't know that. And we get another one of these stinger sound effects or music cues. And this man is watching her walk away. Yeah, he comes outside. He does. And it is a very, very long take. And it's, you hear him breathing in this mask. Yeah, I love the way he sounds when he breathes. And they just told Jamie Lee Curtis, you know, hum a song to yourself or something as you're walking away. She ends up singing a song that she actually just improvised and made up. Oh. I wish I had you all alone. Just the two of us. If you have seen the 2018 version of Halloween, uh, that song is being played during the credits. They recorded a real version of it. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Oh, that's so great. Now we're back at the hospital and Loomis, Dr. Loomis is talking to the head of the hospital. Dr. Wynn. And it seems like the hospital is not going to take any sort of responsibility for whatever the hell happened. Um, And he seems to really be downplaying Loomis's fears and pretty much is like, you're overreacting. Haddonfield is 100 miles away and he he uh, he can't walk there. Yeah, and he tells him, well, you should have told somebody. I told everybody. (laughs) I do. (laughs) Man, Donald Pleasance comes in real hot in this entire movie and it's perfect. (laughs) It really is. He is just, driven to madness like his life's goal is to put mike to keep michael locked up and it's all gone to shit i told everybody and it's so great he's an archetype for that type of character yes and think about all the other characters he's inspired 
to play it like that. Mm -hmm. So he makes a comment that someone had to have (laughs) shown him how to drive because Michael is driving. So we're back with Lori and she is sitting in her class and is kind of daydreaming looking out the window and she sees a car and is very unsettled by this car. Her teacher's talking, gets distracted, looks back, and the car's gone. So it's even more unsettled. Yeah. So Michael Myers is standing outside of the car in this scene. Mm-hmm. Growing up, I guess maybe because it was a smaller TV, I don't know. I, for the longest time, I never even saw Michael Myers. I just saw the car there, and the car was freaking her out. But Michael Myers is standing behind the car. You could see sort of his shoulders and his mask. Uh-huh. Uh, and he disappears. Well, they show the car three times. Twice. Twice and then gone. Yeah. Both times he's standing outside of the car? Yeah. I did not see it this time. Yeah. He's, he's there, but it's easy to miss because you're focused on the car. Yeah. But this scene, it was mimicked also in Halloween H2O and Halloween 2018. They mm-hmm. did the same scenes. In H2O, it was Michelle Williams sitting in class with Jamie Lee Curtis playing the teacher. And they're always talking about fate. So Michelle Williams looks out the window and Michael Myers is out there. In the 2018 one, the girl who plays Jamie Lee Curtis's granddaughter looks out the window and Jamie Lee Curtis is out there. Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So after this, Lori's still in school and now we're at an elementary school and we are following Tommy. There are kids in costume who are running out and we see Tommy walking with this rather heavy looking pumpkin which i honestly don't think he would have made it very far with that pumpkin he was holding it very precariously already you know he may have had to be carrying it a certain way also because remember they filmed this in springtime and it was very hard to find pumpkins Mm. so obviously after the first take when it breaks they need to do another take so i think he may have had to hold it in a way to make it appear it wasn't broken but it probably already was or the break had already started to give it a better break when it falls you know what i mean yeah Hmm. So he's being teased and bullied by these kids. They tell him about the boogeyman and the boogeyman's going to get him. He ends up being tripped by these kids and falls on his pumpkin and it breaks. These kids take off running and one of them immediately runs into Michael Myers and is stopped by Michael Myers. And it's such a weird like as soon as he does, you can see the look on his face. This kid looks terrified. The music comes in again. And Michael could have easily killed this kid. This is the most caring Michael is. Just by letting him go? Yes. Yeah, well, that's not his prey. And we don't know why Tommy Doyle is his prey, except for that he saw him earlier with Jamie Lee Curtis. Yeah, with Lori. Uh, with Lori Strode. But we don't know why he's going after Lori Strode either. Yeah. But you see, I think just because she walked up at the house. Yeah, I think so, too. In the second one, they say Laurie Strode is Michael's sister. But when they made the first Halloween, that was not the intention. Yeah. What I love about Halloween the most, which the sequels lack, are these stocking scenes where all he does is watch the action going on. And, mm-hmm. you know, as you said, we have the over the shoulder shot or, you know, next to him. And we're kind of like voyeurs with him. Yeah. And it's very slow and unsettling, which none of the sequels do, really. Mm -hmm. Uh, They try to do things like it, but it never works as well as the original. Because there's so much of it also in the first one. There is. So this kid is staring up at him and we don't see his face at all. Um, He walks and I love that the shot is just from the neck down. It's pretty much his shoulders down. And he starts following 
Tommy. Tommy walks out, walks through school and walks out. And so we're in the car with Michael and we are watching him watch this kid. And he slows down to a very ominous, painful crawl next to Tommy. The music builds up and then the music starts to fade away and we just drive away. Yeah, you would have thought Tommy would have noticed him. Tommy's in his own head. (laughs) So now we're back with Dr. Loomis and he's in a phone booth. He's on his way to Haddonfield. I believe 79 miles away. Well, he's calling to let them know that Michael's on his way. Uh Uh-huh. And he tells them that if they don't prepare, it'll be their funeral. I'm his doctor. You must be ready for him. If you don't, it's your funeral. (laughs) (laughs) He comes in so heavy. I love him so much. So he happens to look over. What a dink! And there is a red truck that is just kind of parked off to the side. Yeah, Phelps Garage. Right next to the train tracks. So he goes over there and sees that there's discarded hospital gowns. And he picks up a matchbook for the rabbit in red lounge. Yeah, uh, the scene earlier when he was driving to pick up Michael in the rainstorm with the nurse, he noticed that the nurse had those matches uh, in the car. And that's the only tie that we have to that. Yeah, so he picks them up, which is just giving us another clue that, okay, he's on the right track. He knows for sure Michael's on the way. Oh, I didn't catch that. Got it. And then I love that he like knows he's on the right track and just takes off back in the direction that he comes that he came from and it pans over a little bit or pulls out and uh, there's a dead body there (laughs) yeah and it's a naked dead body yes he is naked so now we know where he got his new threads from yeah the kids call his spruce green jumpsuit yeah is it green though i know i read that it's green (laughs) i know um yeah, there's lots of controversy as to what color the jumpsuit is. <laughs> like, I always thought it was blue. I think it's blue. But uh, if you look at the daytime scenes, it's not blue. The reason it looks blue is because of the night lighting that they do throughout most of the movie. Is this the OG blue and black versus oh, yeah. <laughs> gold and white dress? Yeah, probably so. Oh, man. So we're back at the high school and these girls are walking and talking and they're talking about their schedule. It is Lori and Linda and they're just talking about their plans for the evening when they're joined by their third and possibly worst friend, Annie. (laughs) Annie? She's the worst. She's the worst as well as Bob. (laughs) Bob is the worst. What's his last name? Up and down in the water? (laughs) Lori has a real moment here she's forgotten her chemistry book oh my god (laughs) exactly (laughs) exactly she is horrified that she's forgotten her chemistry book which i think is very funny and then instead of turning around being like i'm gonna go get my book she just stands there like her life is over i know and then linda goes on and on well i always forget my chemistry book i forget this blah 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 who needs books anyway (laughs) so this car shows up and oh my god when the car shows up the first thing they say hey isn't that devon graham okay this is what i want to talk about devon graham who's devon graham i wish we met him i love his name (laughs) that is a good name but who is he he's devon graham robert Everyone knows who Devon Graham is. Yeah, well, we know it's not him because uh, Devon Graham, you know, has a sense of humor and has a car. 
Also, can I say I love that being in high school, everyone has known by their first their government name, first name and last name. <laughs> That's right. So yeah, so Devon Graham shows up, but surprise, it's not Devon Graham. And, and uh, <laughs> Annie heckles the car. It's so funny. The car's going like nothing next to them and then just goes a little faster than nothing. And she just is like, hey, jerk, speed kills. I too would slam on my brakes and start screaming at her if I could because <laughs> she is the worst. So, so Anthea and I, we live, I don't know, 15 minutes from where they filmed Halloween. Yes. And <laughs> I like to reenact this scene in the car where I drive down the same street and I pretend someone's yelling speed kills and I slam on the brakes. But Anthea doesn't really like that part of it. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't, because I don't like being pitched forward. No, but for a few minutes, I am Michael Myers. <laughs> it's not even a few minutes. It's like 30 seconds. Well, 30 seconds, I am Michael Myers. <laughs> I thought about maybe driving around wearing a Michael Myers mask, but that might be a little weird. Well, I don't think you can see very well out of it. Yeah. And yes, it would be weird. <laughs> so these gals end up making plans for the evening. Two of the, the three are babysitting. Lori is babysitting Tommy and Annie will be babysitting a young girl named Lindsay. But she also was hoping to have plans with Paul, but Paul has not called her back. Yeah, old Jerko got grounded. And Linda plans to see Bob. They're going to meet up at the Wallaces and uh, have a house to themselves. Yeah, yep, they're going to do some things. So these are these are the girls' plans for the evening. So Annie and Lori are walking and talking. And Annie, I love how this is actually played out. Annie is looking in her bag and Lori is looking forward. There is a hedge in front of them. Yeah, Linda's left by this point. She's looking in her bag and uh, Lori's looking up and there's a hedge in front of them. And there is uh, Michael Myers standing right there, full out in front of this hedge. And Lori is very much upset, afraid, confused. Freaked out. Yeah, by looking at, looking at him. And so she mentions it to Annie. Annie looks up. No one's there. Yeah, so well, we see Michael Myers take a step behind the hedge. So then Annie goes to confront him, like, you know, as if he's hiding behind the hedge. And she goes and no one's there. Now, she does tease Lori, though. Um, that there's someone there and they want to talk to her. Yeah. Um, so Lori walks over and no one's there. Yeah. Poor Lori. Scared another one away. Oh, she's the worst. Uh, she's just, she's so mean. <laughs> In this scene, when she's teasing Lori, you see some smoke fly by her face. And that was from the cigarette of John Carpenter. Oh. Uh, but this scene, this whole hedge scene, I think is my favorite scene of the movie. Really? I love how eerie it is. I love the music on on that frame when you see him. The music begins this eerie music. I've just always liked this. Again, another stalking scene. No killing. Just one of those moments that just really adds the the great atmosphere. Yeah. So after this, you know, Annie goes home, and then it's very quick. But it's my favorite shot of the movie. Do you know what? Do you know what it is? There's a shot where Lori looks behind her. To see where this hedge thing just happened. She looks behind she looks, her. She's looking, yeah. Mm -hmm. She's looking around, seeing if, you know, where is he? Could he be around? She looks behind her, and it's a sunny, windy day. You just see the wind blowing the leaves. And that shot is my favorite shot of the movie. Because that one shot brings back so many memories of Halloween. Because it 
portrays perfect Halloween weather where it's sunny but windy and it just I don't know why it just gives me that wonderful fall feeling mm-hmm. I love it and murder and murder you're like oh I love fall and murder murder so as she's looking back and kind of examining the area she's also walking forward and um, I think this is just the way he interacts with people in general but she runs into Mr. Brackett. Yeah, Sheriff Brackett. And he scares the bejesus out of her. You know, it's Halloween. I guess everyone's entitled to one good scare, huh? And then he proceeds to talk to her very closely to her face. So Lori walks home, and I will bring this up because we did talk about it today, and we talked about it when we were watching the movie yesterday also. She goes home, and she sees the neighborhood starting to come alive with trick-or-treaters. Uh-huh. Also um, notice when she gets home, the whole ground is wet like it had just rained, even though a few seconds earlier it was all sunny. Uh-huh. Oh, was it? <laughs> yeah. And uh, she makes a comment about still believing in superstitions. Well, kiddo, I thought you outgrew superstition. I don't really know what that means. I don't either, but I've been thinking about it. I I just, I'm trying to figure out what this means. I don't think I ever paid attention to that line until now. Mm -hmm. And I'm wondering if it just plays into the entire movie because the whole thing is they keep calling him the the kids keep calling him the boogeyman the whole time she's like there is no boogeyman which is you know a superstition so Lori's now home she goes to her room as she's in there she looks out the window and she sees the man standing in the the clothes line <laughs> yeah and I feel like right before her eyes, he kind of just like disappears. Yeah. So she looks out. We see her point of view of Michael Myers standing in the backyard. Cut back to her. Cut back to him. He's gone. And she closes the window. So he does disappear right before her eyes. So my question to you, do you think she really saw him or she's just now imagining him everywhere? Oh, that's a good question. Because although he does have supernatural tendencies in this movie, I don't know if he's that supernatural. (laughs) Yeah. So uh, she gets a phone call and when she picks up, uh, there's just some annoying chewing on the line. Uh, No one's responding. So she hangs it up thinking that it's some sort of like lewd phone call. Immediately, the phone rings again and it turns out that it's Annie and she's just chewing. Your favorite. eating. But do you know how annoying that would be? It's when like you're eating. Imagine like I'm busy writing something down and I'm calling you on the phone. Say hello. 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 Well, I'm just and then, yeah. Then you hang up and then I call back mad at you. Yeah. Because you hung up, but I wasn't answering. Yeah, I'm telling you, Annie is the worst. <laughs> oh, she's just. Yeah, so she calls her to tell him that she's picking her up at 6.30. Lori just decides to take, like, a nap or something. <laughs> well, there's nothing better than a nap. Meanwhile, kids are trick-or-treating, and... Uh, Which, by she- the way, I get so upset when I see day trick-or-treating in movies and TV shows. Because <laughs> kids don't really go in the date. I mean, I guess if you're but young enough, do, but... when they're little. I don't like it. Trick-or-treating is meant for the nighttime, but I know it's easier to film. Yeah. So a few hours later, she is getting picked up by Annie. Annie picks her up, takes her away. <laughs> we come to Dr. Loomis, who is with a groundskeeper walking through a cemetery. They're looking for Judith Myers' tombstone or burial area. Turns out that this is missing, and he comments that 
he came home. Well, the groundskeeper thinks it's kids that'll do anything for Halloween, yeah. including stealing the tombstone of Judith Myers. Mm-hmm. But uh, Dr. Loomis knows better. Yeah. He came home. So now we're back in the car with the gals and they are smoking and they're talking about Lori feeling uneasy. Yeah. And by the way, uh, in this scene, the music on the radio is Blue Oyster Cult, Don't Fear the Reaper. It is. I got a fever. And the only prescription is more cowbell. As they're turning, there's some activity at the local hardware shop. And we come to find out that Annie's father is Mr. Brackett, who is the sheriff. Yeah. And I really like how how this plays out where they're smoking pot in this car and Lori cannot she just she's just coughing the whole time so then they see that annie's dad is there and annie is like get rid of this they go to get rid of it (laughs) but Lori is still coughing and annie is not letting up this is actually very very funny as much as i dislike annie she does some really funny things that are very they're funny Mm -hmm. um but she's just like what's wrong with you (laughs) like Lori can't (laughs) stop coughing (laughs) and i love that you only hear this dialogue because you're it's the point of view as if we're in the car yeah approaching this area and i love it i love that (laughs) that scene so we find out that someone has broken into the hardware store and the sheriff is blaming it on some kids and he Lori, blames everything on kids. Yes, and Annie makes a comment that he blames everything on kids. And he brings up the fact that a Halloween mask, rope, and a couple of knives have been stolen. <laughs> yeah, a couple of kids. <laughs> I, I mean, fine, Halloween masks and ropes, but once you get to a couple of knives, like, that's kind of a big deal. As the girls are driving away, Dr. Loomis shows up, and he talks to the sheriff about that he needs to talk to him about some stuff. The sheriff says, sure and and leaves Loomis for a moment and I love that Loomis is facing us and behind him as they're talking following the girls is Michael Myers in the car that he's stolen from Dr. Loomis yeah however Dr. Loomis is facing us so we see the very perfect timing almost in a Benny Hill yakety sax kind of moment it's just so good where Michael makes that left and uh, Dr. Loomis is just looking in the opposite direction. Yep. And they turn. And I like when they when they start crossing each other. So Dr. Loomis is looking in the direction where he would see it, but then starts to turn his head as the car's passing. So he never sees the car. Yep. It's so good. So we're back with the gals and they're talking about boys and uh, Ben Tramer. Well, they're talking about the boys in the car. At first, Annie says that maybe she should go to the prom with Dick Baxter. Uh Uh-huh. The interesting thing about that is Dick Baxter is the name of the first victim in The Fog, also directed by John Carpenter. Really? Yeah. And then Ben Tramer is the one that we find out that Lori has a crush on, and we meet Ben Tramer later in Halloween 2. He is the one that Loomis and Sheriff Brackett think could be Michael Myers and Loomis pulls his gun out and the police car crashes into him burning him up to a crisp. Poor Ben Tramer. Poor Ben Tramer. (laughs) I believe Ben Tramer was the name of a a college friend of John Carpenter's, I think. So as the girls are being followed, it is getting darker and darker and I love how it goes from being like 
the transition from day to night is pretty funny. It is, but I noticed in this viewing recently, it does get darker. Yeah, it's like they're they're closing the the shutter on the lens or something to make it darker yeah. to give it the appearance that it actually is getting darker. Yeah, but it does seem a little bit of a jump. It also makes everything seem really far away that they've been traveling a long time to get to their destination. Yeah, but then haven't. later everything is within a couple block radius. Well, I mean, we did talk about this. The Strode abode. The Strodes live, I feel like, a significant distance from where they're babysitting. Well, the thing about that, though, is at the beginning, Lori Strode walks from her house to the Myers house. That's fine. So let's say that's a few blocks away. I think it's a significant distance because Tommy asks, why would she go to, why would she walk in this direction to school? Yeah, that's true. And he's, and she says, I'm, you know, that she's doing her dad a favor. So it could be a mile away, I guess. It could be. I think it's in an opposite direction, not an opposite direction, but it's an out of the way direction. Yeah. So the gals park or, (laughs) I love how you see the distance here where uh, she pulls over to let Lori out and then drives two houses down and over. She goes to the Wallace house. I love that here we see we see a little bit more above the shoulders for the first time. It's still the back of his head, though. And you see him watching Annie go into the house. Dr. Loomis and the sheriff go to the Myers house that's been empty since 1963. The old Myers place. They go inside and they find a warm but dead dog. And I love, again, he just, Dr. Loomis... He says like a lot of three word sentences regarding (laughs) Michael and he says he got hungry. He got hungry. They go upstairs and we get a little bit more history on the killings as well as Loomis's relationship with Michael. And uh, he goes over the, the murder in a very creepy way. It's weird. It's like he wasn't expecting to be at that house. So I gather that he hadn't been there at all, which I find very interesting. That he would not have gone there. Yeah, that might be true. But this scene has my favorite Dr. Loomis speech that, you know, ever since I was a kid, when I first saw this, I used to recite this speech all the time. And it goes a little something like this. I met him 15 years ago. I was told there was nothing left. No reason, no conscience, no understanding. And even the most rudimentary sense of life or death of good or evil. Right or wrong. I met this six-year-old child with this blind, pale, emotionless face and the blackest eyes, the devil's eyes. I spent eight years trying to reach him and then another seven trying to keep him locked up because I realized that what was living behind that boy's eyes was purely and simply evil. He's been here once tonight. I think he'll come back. (laughs) (laughs) it's also the opening of halloween h2o that's right so we find out that loomis has a gun also um (laughs) during this scene he shows his license for it yeah he's a little nervous about it he says that he wants to wait for him at the house and so the sheriff agrees and says he'll check back on him later Lori is babysitting and tommy is asking about the boogeyman she pretty much just like it does not exist annie calls and i made a note that it always seems like it's a one-way it's a one-way conversation for annie jamie lee curtis is very good at speaking on the phone with people annie is not <laughs> 
And it's weird because she's just like looking towards the camera, but like above the camera. It's weird. Anywho, um, however, again, it's another very funny scene because she's just talking about whatever. And this dog named Lester shows up. And for some reason, they have chosen the most intimidating and terrifying barking and growling for this dog. (laughs) Hi, Lester. I'm about to be ripped apart by the family dog. (laughs) Yeah, it's uh, it doesn't really match him. No, especially since she's very nonchalant about this dog. Yeah, it's it's like. They didn't really have a lot of options in the sound library. Apparently not. I put down that Lester's a crazy dog. Um, And she's babysitting Lindsay, who is watching TV. Back at Tommy's house, Tommy is looking outside and he sees Michael outside across the street. And he tells Lori when she looks, there's nothing there. Michael is watching Annie and he's walked around to the back of the house and is looking inside of the kitchen where she is talking on the phone she spills butter on herself and gets like super naked in the kitchen yeah so lester barks at michael michael picks him up and gives him the worst hug ever and the dog dies poor lester i guess he found a hot date (laughs) oh gosh because lester is just like barking and she again calls for Lindsay. Lindsay's just watching tv i do love though that Lindsay, even though she looks like a kid that is completely mesmerized by the tv She's paying attention to everything. <laughs> well, we were talking while watching the movie how they made his legs limp. Yeah, how they made because it's such a slow. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it almost looks like they really killed the dog. Yeah. The truth of the matter is, the dog trainer simply held the dog out in front of him, and after a while, his legs just gave way. He got tired of keeping them up, <gasps> um, and then they slowed down the footage to make it a little bit more dramatic interesting because it's so good yeah i was like oh my god they killed a dog for this movie (laughs) and the dog didn't even get that much screen time he's just like super aggressive we don't really know what his little beautiful face looks like yeah that dog got got and that's the second dog michael has killed i know he ate the other one but it could have been a skunk oh the dog that's a very large skunk well it could have been a little dog i don't know i don't think that michael myers goes after little dogs well, he's just looking for a meal. I mean, you don't want a dog bigger than a chicken. You can't even eat a whole chicken. What's that from? My voice? My mouth? <laughs> <laughs> so, Lori and Tommy are watching The Thing, and Tommy is very worried about the boogeyman. Yeah, they're watching The Thing, which later John Carpenter ends up directing the remake. Yeah. He's very worried about the boogeyman. And uh, they talk it out a little bit. And I believe they go to carve a pumpkin. Meanwhile, back at the Wallaces, Annie is washing her clothes and Michael is stalking her. She thinks it's Paul. It's not Paul. Um, And then she gets locked in the laundry room. So in this scene, when she's in the laundry room, you see the door open a little bit and you see Michael Myers uh, looking at her when she's facing the other way. And then she goes towards the front door after it closes and she's looking out the window. This is the scene in the pan and scan version. They cut Michael Myers out when she's calling for Lindsay. When the phone is ringing, you can see him in the background tilting his head. Oh, oh, it's it's uh kind of hard to make out anyway, Uh but in the pan and scan version of it, which is how I first watched it from a, uh, you know, from Blockbuster, 
they cut him out. I never knew he was there. So when I finally got the widescreen version, I was very excited to see that. I was like, oh, what other scenes could he be in? <laughs> you know? Yeah, so. you just see his little white face. Yeah. Oh, God, and she's just like, Lindsay! Ugh. <laughs> oh. Good old Lindsay, though, is watching TV and the phone rings and it turns out that it's Paul. So she says that she went to go do laundry and goes out to the laundry room to help her out. And for some reason, Annie is caught. Her shoe is caught. Whatever. She's trying to to get out the window. Yeah, she's in a very helpless position, but she's really not. Whatever. Annie talks to Paul. Paul, voiced by John Carpenter. Oh, really? Hi, Annie. Oh, hi, Paul. Stuck, huh? All right, cut it out. It can happen to anyone. And she decides that she's going to take Lindsay to Tommy Doyle's house so that she can have some time with Paul. And also, let's not forget that Linda and Bob are coming over. Mm-hmm. So she walks Lindsay over to the Doyle house. And Michael pops up from behind the car and there's a great stinger. Oh, I really, really like this scene. And I will say that it is uh, the best acting that Annie does up until a certain it is simultaneously the best acting and the worst acting that Annie could do which acting we'll find out in a second (laughs) so Annie goes to the car and it's locked so I love how this plays out she goes to the car and it's locked and she is humming to herself and singing she goes inside to go grab her keys and kind of just like you know looks at herself in the mirror dolls up her hair and is singing you know what? It's a little bit of foreshadow because I didn't. I never realized this. She goes, no keys. Later, after the making of this movie, her last name ends up becoming Keys and she will no longer be around. No keys. What? <laughs> Nancy Loomis. She ended up becoming Nancy Keys in real life. Oh, really? And she says no keys in the movie. Uh, that's a reach, my friend. So then she returns to the car. She, I love how they show her approaching this door in her hand, opening the car door. She didn't need to use her keys. The door is now unlocked. Yeah, and I think people, lots of people probably think, oh, they made a mistake. No. But they didn't. They did not. She gets in the car, and this is where I think her best acting comes up. She is whistling and she notices that the windows are all fogged up and she stops whistling and she has a very convincible look of confusion on her face and then she starts well, she to, looks right at us yeah and she starts to rub the windshield in front of her and i was like oh she did that so well i genuinely Thought that she was very confused about the situation and was assessing what was happening and was like, wait a minute, why would this be fogged up? Yeah. And then she gets got, she gets choked out by Michael and I think he stabs her in the neck. Yeah, he slashes her throat, which is very hard to see, but he does. Which I didn't notice. I always wonder because you hear the music and you hear that stinger yeah. when she does it, um, but you don't see it. It's not like the blood like hits the windshield or anything the windows but then when later on when she's lying on the bed her throat is slashed yeah so it took me a second it's very quick you just see him pull the knife out and do it Um, yeah i think her dying is so horrible yeah also she like blinks 
Well, she kind of you think she's dead, but then she just moves like another few inches, and then she's dead. <laughs> she doesn't stop. Which is funny because she's been dead for a long time in the sequel, and she does blink in the sequel. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> but she just like it takes forever to kill her. But this was another scene that was kind of ruined from Pan and Skin the first time I watched it because the stinger of Michael appearing in the back seat when he rises, <gasps> uh-huh. that was cut out in that 4x3 version uh, because he gets up and then lunges forward. So the music hit happens on the getting up where if you're watching it on the 4x3 version, you'd expect the stinger to happen on the lunging forward because that's when you first see him so it's kind of not matched up correctly in that version oh this tommy looking out the window because he's still very very um concerned about the boogeyman and he sees michael carrying annie from the garage into the house that is such a creepy shot yeah it's probably the scariest part. it's very scary actually anytime he looks over at the wallace house is very foreboding yeah he freaks out and he tells Lori about it Lori uh, does not believe him now we're back at the myers house and there are some kids daring each other to go in dr loomis meanwhile is hiding out behind a bush (laughs) And these kids go up there, and that's when he says, Hey, hey, Lonnie, get your ass away from there. (laughs) And then they run away, and then the look of enjoyment that he has on his face. He looks so proud of himself and so (laughs) amused, and it's just so good. And he's having like a little bit of, he's having a little bit of Halloween fun. And um, again, on brand for uh, Sheriff Brackett. He's standing real close right behind him and scares the bejesus out of him. (laughs) (laughs) And he says that there's no news on Michael Myers. No one has seen him. And they talk about what kind of strategy to use regarding it. They should tell everyone or what. So the sheriff eventually just agrees to what Dr. Loomis would like, which is just to keep uh, your eyes open for him. But that's it. And then Loomis has another one of his great lines here. Do you remember? Death has come to your little town, Sheriff. So Bob and Linda now show up at the Wallaces. Bob is gross AF, as I put <laughs> down. Um, he makes a very inappropriate joke regarding Lindsay. Yeah. Lindsay Wallace. That's who uh, she's babysitting. Annie's yes. babysitting. They're also drinking and driving. They are. They pretty much plan to show up and bone is what I put down. (laughs) So they go inside of the house and they make out on the couch. And again, Michael Myers is watching. Yeah. And this is very reminiscent of the opening scene with his sister. Yep. So Linda calls Lori to check on Annie because Annie's not home. Lori comments that she went to go pick up Paul and that she has Lindsay. So Bob and Linda decide that they're going to go upstairs. Yeah, and when they go upstairs, when they leave the couch, you could see Linda, she trips a little bit. She tripped over some cables for the camera. Oh, really? They're in bed together, and they get interrupted by the phone, and they decide to leave it off the hook. I really love here that you can hear Michael, and you see his shadow go over them as they are in bed, um, and he's just watching them. But then he doesn't do anything. Bob leaves to go get them some beers. And he goes into the kitchen. And this is a pretty great scene where he thinks that people are 
pranking him. Yeah, I think this is the best kill of the movie. Come on out. He ends up getting got by by Michael. And I mean, I think everyone's really been like, well, that giant knife isn't going to go through a whole body and then go into a wall and be able to support that body up there. But it's so good and it's very effective. Um, He ends up choking out Bob and then stabbing him right in the chest. Yeah, it's a little bit of movie magic because, you know, it would have to be like a sword. It's like that long to go through his body and then enough into the wall to hold him up. But it works wonderfully. And then Michael takes a step back and does the famous head tilt. He does. That was John Carpenter's idea uh, for him to take a step back and admire it as if you were admiring your uh, collection of butterflies you had collected. Mm. Now we're back upstairs with our girl Linda. And uh, Michael shows up and he's dressed up as Spooky Bob. Can I get your ghost, Bob? <laughs> so he's got a he's got some sheets that he... Did some arts and crafts with, cut the little holes out and put on Bob's glasses. That is so sinister of him to put, like the fact that he's put on another disguise on top of his disguise. (laughs) Well, you know, it's interesting. So the script for Halloween is written by John Carpenter and Deborah Hill. The way that they wrote the script, a lot of it was built around scares. And Deborah Hill thought, wouldn't it be scary if you were with your boyfriend And someone came in to scare you who you thought was your boyfriend, but it really wasn't him. And so they kind of built the movie or that the scene around that. Oh, that's really good. So he's dressed up as Spooky Bob. Linda is unnerved by Michael's lack of response to her. And uh, she's just like, whatever. And decides to call Lori. As she's calling Lori, Michael pulls up behind her and kills linda over the phone yeah he strangles her with the phone cord yep Lori thinks that it's annie that's playing with her she looks at the house and all the lights go out now we're back with dr loomis who is outside and he finally sees the car i found the car he's here Lori's decided that she's going to go investigate over at the wallace's And she heads over. The kids are in bed, though, at this point. She goes over to the house, and the house is dark. She enters through the kitchen, which I find very interesting, and that he's pretty much, like, set up a trap for her. Bob's body is now gone from the kitchen, and uh, she goes upstairs. She goes to a room that is the only room that's lit in the house, and she sees Annie on the bed with the Judith Myers tombstone and freaks out. She backs up. She backs up into a closet where Bob is somehow in this closet. Is he like on an upper shelf of some sort? <laughs> um, and he swings down. It it turns into Michael's house of horrors. It really <laughs> like, does. Like he sets up all these little contraptions to happen while she bumps into things. Which you wonder, how does he do it? She then backs up into a cupboard and Annie's in there and she's all choked out. Linda. Sorry. Linda's in the cupboard. And our girl Lori is crying near the closet. She's crying near this closet. And I really love this shot, which then they do replicate. But the roles are reversed in the latest sequel. Yeah. Um, and they do it in uh, Halloween, too. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. She's crying near this closet. And we just get this little sliver of Michael's face that comes into the light before he attacks her. Yeah, it's one of the great shots of the movie it's so good it's pure blackness pitch black 
And the cinematographer, Dean Cundy, Mm -hmm. he just slowly turned the light on, which just slowly reveals Michael's face. And uh, the attack is on. That's so good. He slashes at her and just pretty much like gets a bit of her arm. And she falls over this banister and down some stairs. She tries to run out of the house and is unable to as Michael's coming down the stairs. And so she runs back through the kitchen. And now the kitchen doors have been like barricaded by Michael with like a rake. Yeah. So she breaks the windows to get out as he is breaking into the kitchen and she takes off running. Yeah. And the shot of Michael when he first enters the kitchen with his arm through the door. I've just I've always loved that shot for some reason. It's so eerie the way he looks there. Yeah. She's screaming for help and actually makes it to a neighbor's house. And those neighbors, I put down that they were really crappy neighbors, but then they also might think that it's a Halloween prank, I'm sure. Well, I'm sure. Just, you know, annoying kids. There's always annoying kids in the 70s. Yeah. And so they don't help her. She goes over to the Doyle residence and can't get in because she can't get the keys out of her pocket or they're gone. I think they probably fell out when she fell out of the, fell down the stairs. So she calls for Tommy, who is very much asleep. He comes down to help her open the door. And it's so it's done so well where Michael is very calmly walking towards her, but he's just getting closer and she's just trying to get into the house. Yeah, it's so great. So intense. One of the great chase scenes of horror history. Yes. She gets into the living room and sees that the window in the living room is open a bit. There's no light in the living room except for this light that's cast over the couch. As she's kind of hiding behind the couch, Michael Myers pops up. He's like grabbing at her as she grabs a knitting needle and stabs him in the neck. And he falls over in one of his first fake outs. Mm -hmm. um, And she catches the knife, which is ginormous that he's been holding. And she thinks that he's dead. She Do you think he was playing dead or he maybe was stunned? Or does he actually like die then come back to life? What do you think? Um, I think that he is playing dead. That one I think he's playing dead, but then later I feel like he actually kind of dies and comes back to life or something. <laughs> so she stabs him in the neck with the with the knitting needle, and then she's relieved he's dead in, yes. her, in her mind. And she throws the knife away. I love when you see him in the theater. She throws the knife away twice and like people just groan in the theater. They're like, why would you do that? (laughs) But I mean, she thinks it's over. So she goes upstairs to check on Tommy and Lindsay and is going to take them out of the house. As she's talking to them, Tommy's asking her if the boogeyman is real. And uh, Michael Myers is coming up the stairs. And I love how you see his shadow coming up behind her before you see his actual. Yeah. Well, she says uh, that she killed the boogeyman and Tommy says, You can't kill the boogeyman. And then there he is. (coughs) The kids hide in one closet and then she goes to another closet and he goes directly after her. And the way it's so tense, the way that he's just like trying to get into this very simple closet and he's just frustrated and... The doors are so flimsy, but it's, he can't get in. It's just yeah. the shaking of these doors. Yeah, it's one of the most famous scenes in uh, 
Horror history. Yep. It's great. He uh, karate chops his way into this closet, and she has the wherewithal to very hastily undo a metal hanger and uh, stabs at him, and in the first shot gets it right in the eye. Yeah, pokes him in the eye. Pokes it. Boop. Um, (laughs) which causes him to drop the knife and she grabs that knife and, um, stabs him again, stabs him in the chest. He falls down, go boom. (laughs) He does. So she gets out, gets the kids, tells them to go to the Mackenzie's house. And as she does, I love how he is framed. He's framed as being down, just on his back near the closet behind her. Yeah. And, uh, as the kids go to leave... Yeah, she tells them to go uh, to call the police. So she's sitting there just sort of collecting herself as she's thinking about this ordeal she went through, thinking it's all over. He sits up and he has some amazing core strength. (laughs) That's right. And just sits straight up. And I love how it's silent. He gets up, it's still silent, and then he turns. And as soon as he sets his eyes on his target, that music starts. Yes. Done. Done, done. (laughs) Done. Dun dun. Do, 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 do. Dun. Do, 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 dun dun. Dun <laughs> dun. Um, the kids, meanwhile, are being amazing and awesome and are screaming their heads off as they run out of the house. And they get the attention of Dr. Loomis, who is prowling and looking for Michael in the neighborhood. And I like the look on his face where he's like, Do I go inside? <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, thankfully, he does go in to investigate. Lori is being attacked by Michael, and she actually ends up, like, removing his mask. And I love that it's a very, very silent struggle, except for some grunts. She removes his mask, and that gives her enough time to kind of get away from him. Like, he drops her kind of a thing, like, stops physically engaging with her to put his mask back on. Yeah. So you get a very quick shot of his little poked out, damaged eye and do you think his it, face. Do you think it adds to the movie to see his face or takes away from I didn't it? think we needed to see his face. I kind of don't think so either. But I think John Carpenter wanted us to see that it could have just been anyone. Like, uh, like, it's just a normal looking guy, basically. Yeah. Dr. Loomis arrives and shoots him. <laughs> In fact, he shoots him six times. I shot him six times. And uh, Michael falls, after being shot, um, falls out of the window and hits the ground below. Lori says it was the boogeyman. What's the boogeyman? As a matter of fact, it was. She's, you know, crying and whatnot. He goes over to the window to go check and Michael is gone. Yeah. And when they were filming this scene, it was written that Dr. Loomis looks out the window, sees Michael is gone, and he has a look of shock on his face like he can't believe it. Donald Pleasance knew that wasn't the way to play it, but he didn't want to make the call. And, you know, since John Carpenter, you know, he's basically a kid still. He did do Assault of Precinct 13, but he wanted John Carpenter to make the calls and come up with what the best idea for this is. So he asked John Carpenter, how do you want me the, to play this? I could play it as surprised or like I knew this would happen. And he knew that was the correct way to play it. But John Carpenter asked him to do it both ways. And of course... The I knew this was going to happen was the take they used. I feel like it's 
that yeah he does have that knowing look but also a look of dread like his worst fears are being confirmed yeah what's funny though is there's that whole story about you know him deciding you know you want to do the uh i knew this would happen look but then in the sequel it continues right where that scene ends and he looks more shocked when he goes downstairs and Mm. he's like oh no (laughs) (laughs) he's got to set a tone he's got to set a tone for the movie so michael's gone and so michael's gone and laurie's crying dr loomis has that dreadful look on his face looking off in the distance like it's only just begun and then i think this is one of my favorite endings you hear breathing that starts to come in and it's michael's breathing and then you get all of these shots of rooms of the house and it's kind of like we're looking for him but we're also revisiting where all of these things have happened yeah well it's also saying like he's still out there and he could be anywhere yes and you just get these beautiful they're not stills because they're just it's film yeah of all these places and then the last one is the myers house and it ends and says halloween and that's right i love the halloween font i love that its <laughs> color is orange and it's on black and did um, you notice the mistake in the credits no when it has michael's age how old is michael myers if he was six years old in 1963 how old would he be 21 yeah, but it says in the credits, Michael Myers, age 23. Oh, my God. Big mistake. Oh and no. even in, in the second movie, Dr. Loomis says, Michael Myers is 21. <laughs> <laughs> well, then just burn the film and start over again. Um, but yeah, that's it. That's uh, John Carpenter's Halloween. Yay! <laughs> I love the movie. I, I watch it very often. It just makes me think about Halloween and just wonderful Halloween times. Do you remember the first time you saw it? I feel like it was a movie that was always on TV, but I really remember watching it when I was about 15. That's around the same time I watched it. Um, I remember being younger and having some nightmares about him. Mm-hmm. Even though I had never seen the movie, I think... One thing that really got me aware of him or scared of his look was, do you remember on the USA Network, they used to do USA Saturday Nightmares? Tonight on USA's Saturday Nightmares. Yeah. There was this great opening, and at one point, there's a still of Michael Myers, and that still is what scared me. Oh. But I didn't actually watch it until I was 13 or 14. Uh, We rented it from Blockbuster, and I instantly loved it. Yeah. And then I think the next year was when Halloween H2O came out. And just my Halloween fandom went through the roof. And it also reminds me of being with my friends, like my friend Ian, who I, I had talked about on the Scream episode. We would watch Halloween a lot. And, you know, we would make our own Halloween movies. So it just reminds me of being at home with my friends, watching Halloween, making Halloween movies. And that's why that shot in the movie of just the windy atmosphere is my favorite shot of the movie, because it reminds me of my neighborhood. They filmed it in Southern California, where Mm -hmm. I lived or live. And it's just such it's such a big part of me. I remember... You know, I I was so into it. I think 
I really got into it when I was 14. I was in uh, ninth grade. And I remember, you know, I didn't have a, a ton of friends at that time, but I remember I was a little bit of a loner and I would just hang out by myself during lunch. And I would remember just playing the movie over and over in my head. I was just so into Halloween at that time. Mm-hmm. Love it so much. <laughs> Want to talk a little bit about Halloween? Sure. Louis, the boogeyman is outside. Look. All right. Uh, I like to always ask this question first. Do you know the original title for Halloween? I feel like you do know this. Babysitter Murderers. That's it. The Babysitter Murderers. Oh, murders. murders. <laughs> the Babysitter Murderers. So it's actually just like Lori and Linda and Annie are killing people. Yeah. The Babysitter Murders. I'm glad they went with Halloween. Yeah, Halloween was a concept that came to fruition by producer Erwin Yablins. John Carpenter was hired to make this movie, The Babysitter Murders, and he thought, you know, maybe this would be neat to do it on Halloween. And he, like, looked through film archives to see if there was ever a movie called Halloween to know if they could get the rights to it. Mm -hmm. They had never done a movie called Halloween before this. Mm. They decided to call it Halloween, which John Carpenter was very excited about. You Mm -hmm. could add all this Halloween lore in there that you want. Yeah. All that stuff. Apparently, part of the idea of Halloween was based on John Carpenter's experience that he had in college touring a psychiatric hospital. And while he was there, apparently he met a child that just stared at him and it really freaked him out. And he said he stared at him with a look of evil and it terrified him. Hmm. But the script is written by John Carpenter and, as I mentioned earlier, Deborah Hill, who they were dating at the time, I think. Deborah Hill, she wrote most of the girl talk stuff, you know, all the stuff with the friends hanging out. And John Carpenter wrote most of the Dr. Loomis stuff and the backstory of what Michael Myers is. Mm Mm-hmm. It takes place in Haddonfield, Illinois, Mm -hmm. and Deborah Hill, she is from Haddonfield. Oh. But Haddonfield, New Jersey. Uh, Is Haddonfield, Illinois a real place? I don't think so. Mm. I think just uh, New Jersey. Okay, New Jersey. So Deborah Hill, not only did she write it, but she also played Michael Myers. What? Oh, was she the hands? She's the hands in the beginning. Uh, And she mostly did that because they hadn't hired a kid at that point. Like, Mm. the kid came at the last second. She has very tiny hands. Yeah, and I think, if I remember correctly, the one shot of him just standing in front of the Wallace's house and silhouette is her, too. So the movie, it was shot in spring. Mm -hmm. Now, in spring, you know, I mentioned that, you know, it's hard to get pumpkins, but in spring, it's also hard to get autumn looking leaves. Yeah. So what they did was they painted leaves brown to make them look like autumn and they had fake leaves that they painted. So they would do their scenes and have wind machines blowing the leaves and then they would have to scoop them all up and get them ready (laughs) for the next scene because they they were short on leaves. Mm Mm-hmm. Apparently, it came out recently that Robert England was on the set of Halloween. Really? Robert England, who played Freddy Krueger, and like he helped like pick up the leaves and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder if he used his claws to rake it up. Yeah, probably. <laughs> He's like, oh, I'm really glad I brought my knife glove. Yeah. Shink, 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 shink. <laughs> Lots of people compared Halloween to Psycho when it came out. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like a big horror movie that everything copied after it. Gotcha. Uh, set a... Precedence. Mm. A standard. Style. A style. <laughs> <laughs> and John Carpenter was a big fan of Psycho, and there are 
some psycho references. Mm -hmm. The biggest being Sam Loomis, Dr. Loomis. Uh, That is the name of the boyfriend Mm -hmm. in Psycho. And of course, Jamie Lee Curtis is Janet Leigh's daughter, who played Marion Crane in Psycho. Jamie Lee Curtis wasn't the first choice, but... Deborah Hill really liked her and really liked the fact that she was the daughter of Tony Curtis and Janet Lee, so they gave her the part and she did a great job. So Jamie Lee Curtis plays Laurie Strode, just like how Haddonfield is based off of some fact, the name Laurie Strode is based off of someone. Oh really? Laurie Strode is John Carpenter's first girlfriend. Aw. Can you imagine? <laughs> so I just want to do a quick rundown of the cast. Okay. We have Jamie Lee Curtis playing Laurie Strode, mm-hmm. Donald Pleasance playing Dr. Loomis. He uh, was a great actor. Uh, he played, I don't remember the character, but he was in the James Bond movie, the one that looks like Dr. Evil. Allow me to introduce myself. I am Ernst Stavro Blofeld. Nancy Loomis played Annie. You have P.J. Souls, who played... uh, Linda. Linda. Charles Cyphers, who I always thought it was Cyphers, but I think it's Cyphers. He plays Sheriff Brackett. Kyle Richards plays Lindsay. And Brian Andrews plays Tommy Doyle. Who's Bob? Bob was John Michael Graham. Bob is played by Bob. So Bob, you know who they were going to talk to about possibly playing Bob? Who? Dennis Quaid. Because Dennis Quaid and P.J. Souls were boyfriend and girlfriend. Not Randy Quaid. <laughs> Not Randy Quaid. <laughs> oh, boys! I'm back! Oh, I'm glad that Dennis Quaid... I think Dennis Quaid is too nice to play Bob. Yeah. So with the role of Dr. Loomis, Donald Pleasance played him, but he was not the first choice. John Carpenter first went to two actors to see if they would be up for playing the role of Dr. Loomis. How dare he? Do you know who it would have been? Donald Sutherland. (laughs) No. It's not a bad choice, though. Okay. Um... Two of the biggest actors. Charlton Heston. In horror history. Christopher Lee and Peter Cushing. I should have been able to guess that. Yeah. I should have. Dang Uh, it. (laughs) So they both turned it down, I think mostly because it didn't pay a lot of money. This was an independent movie. Uh It only had a budget of $300,000 and they shot it over 21 days. Christopher Lee said it was the biggest mistake of his career turning it down afterwards. Well, but I I don't know. Michael Myers. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, but Donald Pleasance got the part. So John Carpenter was intimidated by Donald Pleasance at first because he was such a you know big, experienced actor and, and an older actor. Yeah. And John Carpenter is this young kid making this movie. And they ended up becoming good friends. And, uh, you know, Donald Pleasance ended up playing Dr. Loomis uh, five times in total. In fact, before he died, they did an interview and they asked him, Donald, <laughs> how many Halloweens do you plan on making? And he says that he would play Dr. Loomis until Halloween 22. So Donald Pleasance, you know, he only took the part really because of his daughter's recommendation. Mm -hmm. His daughter really liked John Carpenter's music in Assault and Precinct 13. Awesome. So he did it because she really liked John Carpenter. Oh, so good. PJ Souls, who plays Linda. Do you remember what else she's in? Uh, She's in Carrie. That's right. And that's where John Carpenter saw her, and he wrote that part specifically for her. Oh, so he just, because I mean, this is really a natural extension of the character from Carrie. Yeah, that's true. So I thought, what are the odds that she would pay, like, the, I guess she was just typecast. Yeah. 
And PJ Souls has a cameo in Halloween 2018. She is the voice of the teacher asking the granddaughter, talking about fate, you know, in the scene that's mimicked. Uh, mm-hmm. Nancy Loomis, she also had a part in Halloween 3. Mm-hmm. Charles Cyphers, he came back for Halloween 2. He was in an episode of Buffy. So what, you're just going to feed me to him? Well, they've already had their dinner. The boys have other needs. <laughs> That's what I know I'm from. Uh-huh. Also. Uh, Kyle Richards, Lindsay Wallace. You remember her, right? Yeah, she's a real housewife. Yeah, she became a real housewife of Beverly Hills. And Brian Andrews was Tommy Doyle. <laughs> <laughs> so, of course, we mentioned the cast, but we haven't mentioned Michael Myers. Uh-huh. Michael Myers was actually played by six people. Oh, 90% of the movie, though, is Nick Castle. Okay. Nick Castle is the main Michael Myers that's playing him under the mask, uh, even in the opening scene, climbing on the car. Oh, okay. Uh, in, in the rain. Uh-huh. That's Nick Castle. So it's he's the Michael Myers we know and love. Uh, he's the walk, the, the shape, you know. Tony Moran plays the unmasked Michael Myers. Nick Castle, I think, was a little upset that he didn't get to be the face of Michael Myers also. But, you know, he had like a big afro, a little goofy looking, I think. (laughs) But he said uh, uh, John Carpenter wanted Michael Myers to have this sort of angelic face or something. He does not have an angelic face He doesn't, but I think like an innocent face maybe. I don't know. Sure. So they went with Tony Moran, who is actually the brother of Aaron Moran, who played Joni in The Happy Days. Er, who played Joni in Happy Days. Who played the Joni in <laughs> The Happy Days. James Winburn played Michael Myers for one scene. In fact, he has a credit in the movie uh, as an actor. And his character name is Stunt. Because he was Michael Myers when he jumped over the ledge. Okay, well, he didn't <laughs> jump over the ledge. He well, fell. fell over the ledge, yeah. Tommy Lee Wallace played Michael Myers for one scene. He played Michael Myers in the closet scene. Oh, okay. The reason for that was because Tommy Lee Wallace was the production designer for the movie, and he knew how to break down that closet the correct way <laughs> he knew to the make it look good for the screen. Karate chops? Yeah. Yeah. So that's why he played Michael Myers in that scene. Okay. Uh, the fifth Michael Myers was Deborah Hill, mm-hmm. that we talked about, the arms and the far shot. And the sixth one is Will Sandin, who is the six-year-old Michael Myers. Oh. And uh, he later became a Los Angeles police police officer okay so michael myers's mask do you know what the first mask was going to be or the first option uh, like a balaclava or whatever they're called like a ski mask no hockey mask nope <laughs> tommy lee wallace the production designer he went to a halloween store and bought a few masks and the one that really blew people away that it was very creepy that they were going to do was an emmett kelly mask Emmett Kelly is that famous crying clown and they put like a little wig on him or something and it really would have made sense because he was a clown as a kid when he was six years old. Mm -hmm. So they were really close to using that but then they're like let's try this one too. So there was a Captain Kirk mask and Tommy Lee Wallace he spray painted it white tore off the sideburns made the eye holes bigger (sighs) spray painted the hair black Uh And he came out wearing that, and that one, everyone was like in silence because they were so scared when they saw him come in. There was just this <laughs> blank face that you could project anything onto. Yeah. 
and it was just perfect. They knew that was it. And history was born. Yeah. And the Michael Myers mask, you know, it's changed over the years. Uh, in Halloween 2, it is the same mask from the first one, but it looks different because the actor playing Michael Myers had a different shaped head. Okay. <laughs> but each subsequent sequel, the mask changes, sometimes for the better. So, so, well, it's never better than the first one. Okay. <laughs> but uh, the mask sometimes looks great sometimes it doesn't look so great yeah i actually think in the halloween 2018 version the mask looks really good probably the best it's looked since the first two michael myers he was named after a real person i thought it was named after john carpenter's lawyer but i think i was getting bruce the shark mixed up <laughs> but he's actually named after the distributor of carpenter's previous film assault of precinct 13 a little way to honor him yeah and john carpenter has he based Michael Myers off of a particular character. Do you know who he based him off of? No. He based him off of another character that was relentless, no reasoning, can't stop him, always coming after you. Wiley Coyote? No. <laughs> um, the gunslinger in Westworld. Oh. Draw. He was also an inspiration for the Terminator. You know what? I'm just going to say he's based off of a Wiley Coyote. <laughs> Yeah, but, you know, you really can see it. He is basically like the gunslinger. Yeah, totally. So um, I mentioned earlier that John Carpenter scored the movie. Mm -hmm. He learned uh, to play that beat on the bongos from his father. Mm -hmm. He did the whole score in four days. When he, he did his first cut of the movie, he showed it to an executive, and she watched the movie without any music in it. Mm -hmm. And she thought it was not scary at all. There was not one thing scary about this movie. What? She watched it again with the music, and she was scared to her wits. <laughs> uh, it uh, The music really made a huge difference for this movie, and it's probably the most memorable thing about the movie. I yeah. Mean, every Halloween you hear it. Because it's so good. Yeah. And it's so simple. So I mentioned earlier, uh, the cinematographer for the movie is Dean Cundy. Uh-huh. He ended up shooting films such as Back to the Future and <gasps> Jurassic Park. And, oh, you know, I should know about Jurassic Park, man. Yeah, so he ended up being a huge cinematographer, and it started with Halloween. And he based the look of Halloween off of Chinatown. He watched Chinatown before and wanted to use a similar color palette. Okay. I told you before, the movie had a budget of $300,000. I think it ended up being $325,000. Okay. It ended up grossing $47 million, and it was the highest grossing independent film of all time for 12 years until it was beat by something in 1990. It was Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. In a shell, that was an independent film? Yeah, apparently. Interesting. Okay. Yeah, and then I, I just want to mention real quick that there is an alternate version of the movie. Mm -hmm. uh, in 1981, it had its television premiere. You have to cut out violence and nudity when it's on television, and it has to meet a certain length uh, to fit into the schedule of programming. Yeah. So John Carpenter, uh, you know, they were filming Halloween too. So all the actors were there, and John Carpenter decided to add some scenes into the original Halloween for the TV version, which would also bridge the first movie to the second movie. So there were scenes of Dr. Loomis uh, talking with uh, different doctors about Michael Myers. There's scenes which are also used in Halloween 2 of a young Michael Myers, a teenage Michael Myers, uh -huh. uh, kind of sitting in his room and hints towards him 
searching for his sister, basically. Okay. Uh, kind of giving the hint that Laurie Strode is the sister. And I think there was some other scenes of Linda and Laurie hanging out at Laurie's house. Mm-hmm. And if I remember correctly, they shot that in the living room of the same house that they used for A Nightmare on Elm Street. Oh. Which... You know, I, I mentioned earlier that we live pretty close to the filming locations. Uh, the filming locations for the Wallace and Doyle house are down on Sunset Boulevard, right off of Sunset Boulevard. And right across the street from, on Sunset is the Nightmare on Elm Street house. Yeah, so that's pretty much it. That's all I got. Uh, I'm sure there's more facts, but that's all that's coming to mind right now. Excellent. Yeah, so Halloween, I told you, it became one of my favorites. I... You know, I, I made my own Halloween movies. I bought a Don Post mask and I played Michael Myers in those movies and I killed all my friends. <laughs> hey, who's that man over there in the white mask? There are 11 Halloween movies now. Uh huh. The 12th movie. 11. Yeah, there's 11, including a remake and the sequel to the remake. Uh-huh. Halloween 2018 is the latest one where it ignores every sequel. <laughs> Uh, so that basically became the new Halloween 2. Okay. And now they are currently filming Halloween Kills, which is the sequel to this newest one. Mm-hmm. And they have also announced a sequel to that called Halloween Ends, I believe. Yes. And yeah, so Halloween is still alive and well. Yeah. What's your favorite sequel to the Halloween movie? My favorite sequel is Halloween H2O. This summer... Terror won't be taking a vacation. Halloween H2O. It's Halloween. I guess everyone is entitled to one good scare. I've had my share. I just loved it so much. It seems like with Halloween fans, there's a big line between Mm -hmm. fans. Like, everyone loves the first one. Uh-huh. But then there are fans that are really into the Thorn trilogy, as, as they call it, which is Halloween 4 through 6. Oh. And then there are fans that are into the Halloween H2O storyline. I am more into Halloween H2O. I love that one. Because that storyline was Halloween 1, 2, and then H2O, ignoring parts 4 through 6. Uh-huh. And 3, as you know, is just a completely different story. Which is my Halloween favorite. Halloween 3, Season of the Witch. It's my favorite. <laughs> the only thing about being a fan of Halloween H2O and that storyline is sometimes you kind of have to tack on Halloween Resurrection, which I think is by far the worst Halloween movie. I do not acknowledge that movie. I don't acknowledge it either. I like to just think of H2O being the end of that series. Yeah. But yeah, H2O, because that's, that's the first one I saw in the theater when I became a huge Halloween fan that was in production. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I just love everything about it. How about you? Um, well, I really love Halloween 3 a lot. What? What about one with Michael Myers? I think I'd have to go with H2O as well. I did see that in the theater also. Um, and I really, really, I had a really great time with that movie. So yeah. um, I enjoyed it. And I believe I purchased it. Speaking of purchasing uh, Halloween, I remember, you know, the first DVD I ever owned was Scream 2. And I said, thanks, but I'd rather have Halloween. <laughs> oh, my gosh. So we went and got Halloween that same day. <laughs> 
And I remember my grandpa coming over and we were so impressed at how great DVDs looked <laughs> and the technology, bonus features. You could actually watch the trailer. Yeah. And uh, now I could just watch Halloween even more, <laughs> even though I had it on VHS several times. Yeah. Well, I suppose we should call it an end to Halloween. <laughs> I hope you all have a happy Halloween. Yes, me too. Uh, where can the kids find us? You can find us at podsandmonsters.com as well as on Instagram at podsandmonsterspodcast. On Twitter and on Facebook, we are Pods and Monsters. We have an updated watch list on our website as well as links to all the different sites that our uh, podcast is available. And if you're so inclined, please rate and review us on iTunes. It helps us get some visibility and gives us some wonderful feedback on the on the podcast. So we hope you are enjoying it. So for Pods and Monsters, I'm Robert. I'm Inthea. And hi, Inthea. Get your ass away from there. That's rude. (laughs) Happy Halloween. Goodbye. Bye. Eat some candy corn. Bye. See you later. Bye. Bye. He's gonna get ya.